Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, current Secretary of Defense. The most accurate description <laughs> yet of Jason. <laughs> So, uh, why would we be interested in the Secretary of Defense? Well, in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we've been talking about the films of 2003. And in this episode, we've reached our documentary pick, which is The Fog of War by Errol Morris, featuring former Secretary of Defense, Robert S. McNamara. One of my predecessors. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, um, or maybe not, uh, an influence on your own policymaking <laughs> as the Secretary of Defense. But, but Josh, this episode isn't about me and what I'm doing for the country. It's about McNamara in this movie. So let's stay focused on that. Right. Yes. Well, are you Secretary of Defense of the country or just like of this podcast, keeping us safe from other podcasts? You know, I, I really should have looked at the job description before I, I agreed to take the, the, the gig. So. Well, we'll see what your uh, 11 lessons are. That is the, the subtitle also of this movie, uh, which is structured as the 11 lessons that McNamara kind of gleaned from his time as the Secretary of Defense in the, uh, in the 1960s during the Vietnam War as well as his experience prior to that in the military. And this is, I, I think, is this the first time that we've done uh, the winner of the best documentary feature at the Oscars in our documentary episode? I think that it is. Hmm. I wish I, I wish you would have peppered that question in, uh, before this. So uh, you might be right there. I'm, I'm trying to go back to all the seasons there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I just thought of that right now. So I, I hadn't thought to look it up. But I think I think it may be. Because, I think you're right. Because a lot of the time, the winner of that award is not necessarily the most interesting documentary of the year. Sometimes it's a really it's a strange choice. So but in this case. This is a movie that not only won that Oscar, but I think has maintained that reputation as an important documentary. Errol Morris is a major documentary filmmaker, so we wanted to talk about this film. It also won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Documentary and tons and tons of critics groups awards. I didn't list them all. I don't know if you had any notable ones you wanted to point out, Jason, but it was many, many, many critics groups. No, I didn't want to point out any of that. I did want to say that... Um... The 11 lessons are from the McNamara book in retrospect, The Tragedy and Lessons of Vietnam. And in the DVD of this movie, he offers 10 extra lessons. He does. And I actually watched that DVD, but I did not watch the extra 10 lessons because I felt like I'd learned enough. You know, I didn't, I didn't need any more lessons. That's the thing with you, Josh. Once you know what you consider to be to be enough, you don't go any further. That's no, why would I, why would I want to learn more? Yeah. That's, that's insane. That's not for you. That's not, no, that's it's, really, not. it's really, it's really not. So this movie, I mean, for a, for a wonky uh, political documentary, this movie made a decent amount of money. It grossed $5 million at the box office. I couldn't find any info about its budget, but I, I can't imagine a movie like this has a very large budget. So that seems like that was a pretty successful run at the box office. And of course, this is the kind of movie that nowadays would not even maybe even be released in theaters, even our current situation aside, this is the kind of movie that might just go direct to a streaming service. So uh, it did, however, get a decent theatrical run. In addition to its awards, and again, 
so many groups of critics awarded it. Critics loved this movie. It was almost universally acclaimed. It got uh, two thumbs up from Ebert and Roper. And in his review, Roger Ebert said, McNamara will also not say he is sorry, even though Morris prompts him. Maybe he's too proud, but I get the feeling it's more a case of not wanting to make a useless gesture that could seem hypocritical. His final words in the film make it clear there are some places he is simply not prepared to go. The effect of the fog of war is to impress upon us the frailty and uncertainty of our leaders. They are sometimes so certain of actions that do not deserve such certitude. The farce of the missing weapons of mass destruction is no less complete than the confusion in the Kennedy White House over whether there were really nuclear warheads in Cuba. And because of when this movie came out, uh, in relation to the war in Iraq, there were lots of references to that whole situation with the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and in most of the reviews that I found. Yeah, and I know that um, that that had been a point in the reviews of he didn't say he's sorry, but he did say he made mistakes. He's written books about the mistakes. Um, it seems to be common knowledge or at least perceived that, you know, he went all in on as the architect of Vietnam and then you know, years later, he said, I did what I thought I had to do. But, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't know. And that's what led me down those roads. So, you know, I think that's about as good as you could ask of a politician. <laughs> that's like, for someone to say I made mistakes as a politician, that's like, uh, that's more than we've seen in a long time, I feel like. Yeah. And a lot of these reviews too talk about how guarded he is. And it's true that especially in, in that bit at the very end, he declines to to kind of answer some questions or to explain further about certain things. But I feel like what's striking about this movie is how forthcoming he is, is that he talks about this stuff in a way that you wouldn't expect a politician to do, that no matter what, they will always double down on their own decisions and not be willing to admit that maybe they did something wrong ever. So I don't know, coming into this as someone who is not really familiar with him. And certainly, obviously, not none of us lived through that period of time when he was this vilified public figure. I, I thought he came off remarkably well. And maybe that's not what I'm supposed to get out of the movie, but that's kind of the way it felt to me. Well, yeah, I, I agree with you. And he's a captivating presence, right? Like you want to continue to hear him talk and explain. I almost thought it like, you know, do you guys ever watch those master classes? Uh, or we've at <laughs> least we've at least seen enough of the advertisements for him, right? This is like the masterclass version on like uh, war history of the 20th century, right? You know, but I was really interested in him talking. And, and actually, Josh, to your point, I spoke to my dad, an old hippie about McNamara. And I'm like, Dad, is he a good guy or a bad guy? And he basically <laughs> said the same thing. Well, he was a bad guy, you know, um, or at least that's how he was perceived. And then through the years, he kind of took ownership of his actions and and like Timmy failure admitted mistakes were made and, uh, you know, kind of became a good guy in the, in the end there. Well, a, I appreciate that callback to our, uh, Tom McCarthy station agent episode, uh, with, with Timmy failure right there. But yeah, I love that. The idea, this is, this is maybe Jason, as our secretary of defense, you should take the masterclass from Robert McNamara about how to be secretary of defense, very large audience for classes on how to be a secretary. of. Defense. Well, I mean, more than that, it's like I said, like kind of like, um, a really interesting history lesson. And, uh, you know, uh, as, um, our fans in Algeria know, I was a, a history minor in college. So I, I found it pretty fascinating. Yeah, it is a, it is an interesting uh history lesson for 
someone for coming into it, not necessarily knowing all these details. And I feel like this is a movie that maybe isn't designed for that kind of audience. It's designed for an audience of people who already know about this guy and they're trying to kind of show another side of him. But I, I, I did find it interesting as someone who didn't know much about, about him or necessarily about all those things that he did. Kenneth Turan in the LA Times said, never one to shy away from challenges, Morris has come up with one of the best documentaries of this or any year. Part filmed biography of the eternally controversial Vietnam-era Secretary of Defense Robert S. McNamara, part colloquy about such philosophical questions as what's morally appropriate in a wartime environment, the fog of war insists there are no easy answers about people and that reality is more complex and more provocative than we'd like to believe. And it does engage, I think, with those like philosophical issues that are broader than just what McNamara himself did and whether it was justified or not. Uh, yeah, and and that was a quote from I, I I found myself writing down quotes like in these lessons, like what is morally appropriate in a wartime lesson, uh, which was under lesson eight: be prepared to re-examine your reasoning. But you know, he's talking about all these things, and at one point he says, "What makes it immoral if you lose and not if you win?" Right? Like you justify. History is written by the winners, so you justify your actions if you win. But what's the difference, win or lose, if you're killing people, right? So um, I I thought that was one of the best elements of the film also, that he was willing to, like, if not look in the mirror, at least look into the Interatron. <laughs> yes, the, the uh, sort of contraption that Errol Morris came up with that he uses to interview his subjects in not just this movie, but in most of his uh, documentaries. And yeah, and I think it's interesting that he he says something like that and clear. And at one point he he speculates not not about Vietnam, but about World War Two, that he and uh, is it LeMay, yeah. I think is the name of those of really a real war hawk as a general and everything. Yeah, right. And he speculates that both he and LeMay would have potentially been considered war criminals had again, had they not won the war. Um, and yet at the same time, he's sort of he's considering that stuff at a distance. He's not saying, oh, I should be punished or I should be held accountable or anything like that. So there's still that, that sort of um, tension in, in what he's talking about. Yeah. To that point in those bonus 10 lessons, which Josh, you clearly don't need to know about. He, Did you watch them? No, but I looked him up and oh, read about okay. them. So, <laughs> All right. um, so one of the things he said is like, you know, you can't really be objective going into war. So there should be some type of international court to hold uh, people accountable for their actions and, um, you know, kind of uh, be able to assess who is a war criminal and who is not. And uh, he made it a point to say that the U.S. has always been against that as a policy, like joining any type of international court, which I think you know, says maybe more than uh, some other things about wh where we are at and who we are as a country. Right. We don't ever want to be held accountable. We only want to be the ones who hold others accountable. We want to be the, the ultimate arbiter of that. But I think that's the position that McNamara was in, being the Secretary of Defense of the U.S. at a time of huge U.S. power. He was able to be that one to say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong in the world. And this is how we should take care of it, especially during Vietnam, which is a war where we basically just went in and meddled um, because we decided we were the ones who knew what was best. I thought it was interesting that he talked about the difference between Kennedy and Johnson. He was saying if Kennedy, you know, hadn't been assassinated, we would have never gotten to the point where we had so many men in Vietnam. And then and, you know, when they asked who's to blame for the Vietnam War, 
he didn't say, oh, I did this or that. He said, it's the president. And I was just doing my my best job to do the president's bidding in the, you know, best possible way. So, yeah, he's a, he's able to really ice skate around these uh, issues, isn't he? Yeah, it's a very fine threading of that where he'll he might say like, well, this was this was wrong or this wasn't the right thing to do, but he won't put the full blame for any of those things on himself. So and I think that's part of what makes the movie interesting. Finally, Wesley Morris in the Boston Globe said, until the film's epilogue, in which McNamara appears to be dodging further inquiry and Morris's cameras, the fog of war isn't quite angry with McNamara. It's sometimes sympathetic and on several occasions grimly whimsical. In fact, on a first viewing, you may leave crestfallen by how ambivalent and clinically ambiguous the movie seems. Fog is the dominant psychological and ideological motif, but why does this great but fallen man deserve such a seemingly unmitigated self-defense? Where is Morris's counterpoint wrestling with McNamara? Where is McNamara's wrestling with the truth? After a second sitting, you realize that the film's central drama is not between the former secretary and the filmmaker. It's between McNamara and history. And that's an overall very positive review. Um, but, I, you know, he's kind of wrestling with that question there. That, again, I think for people who were more familiar with McNamara, what he did during Vietnam, especially people who lived through that era, might bring to this movie more than, than we would as people who didn't go through that and expect this takedown of this guy that they think of as this horrible person, and that's not what they get. Yeah, I think you make a good point there, Josh, because it's like, you know, there are plenty of charismatic politicians that we may not like that we've lived through, but if you put them on camera, you can see why they garnered so much support because of, you know, how transcendent they are with their personalities, right? And McNamara, like I said, is like someone you want to keep listening to, and he's very convincing. And clearly very intelligent, like, you know, and they made the point throughout. He was one of the GM whiz kids and, you know, one of the, you know, he was at Harvard and he was an assistant professor and all this and that. So I agree with that. Um, I mean, you know, all I can say is I, I took that note where he said he's proud of his accomplishments, but sorry that um, he made errors to achieve those things, you know, and it's like, again, we weren't there. We didn't live through it. So maybe we're coming in naively, but it does seem like he's willing to take more responsibility than <laughs> let's say anyone in the last four years anyway. Right. I mean, and I think that's the thing is that maybe we're being too sympathetic, but to me, this movie, it gives him some sympathy that he might deserve, not that he deserves to be completely forgiven or let off the hook for everything, but he clearly has this sense of having done things that were wrong or having regrets about what he did and 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 would have wanted to do differently and and is willing to examine the reasons for doing these things and uh, kind of reflect on that which is again more than I think a lot of politicians not only in the last 4 years but ever uh would be willing to do but i mean i'm sure you know someone who was on the front lines protesting the vietnam war would look at this movie and say, this is someone who doesn't deserve any sympathy or forgiveness. And again, you know, though they probably wanted his feet held to the fire and wanted answers. So when he says stuff like war is cruelty, and it kind of leads to the philosophical reasoning of why he did what he did, that is not a good enough answer for people who lived through it. And you could totally understand that. Uh, for us, I, I, you know, it's more of like, like, you, you know, a uh, philosophical rhapsody of who he is and how he 
ended up doing the things that he did. So for us, like you said, not having that experience, having lived through it or known that much about him, it's pretty interesting piece. Right. And I think you can hear, uh, first of all, Errol Morris himself is someone who protested the Vietnam War. And, and I think you can hear in his voice, there are a few moments where you hear him off screen asking a question and he just sounds so exasperated. Um, so I think you can get a little bit of that sense of frustration um, in those, those brief moments from him as an interviewer. But as a filmmaker, he creates this portrait that is sympathetic in a lot of ways. Yeah, but as a documentarian, you know, you're not always going to get the answers to the questions, right? Like, um, you know, even McNamara said, uh, didn't he say in the movie, uh, one thing I do is I don't answer the question that I'm asked. I'm asked I answer the question that I want to be asked, right? And you could, you know, that's a wily person who's dealt with mass communications, you know, his whole life. So I get it. He's, you know, answer the question, but at the same time, he already knows what he is and isn't going to say. Uh, that said, the background is he was supposed to sit down for an hour and they were going to do a PBS special. And these interviews just kept going and going. And he did about 20 hours of interviews. Uh, Morris did with McNamara. And that's how he got to this uh, documentary. Right. I mean, clearly McNamara is someone who is fascinating and is is worth talking to for longer than an hour. I mean, I think my point about Morris is that you're right, that he can only use what McNamara gives him. He can only he can't force answers to his questions as an interviewer. But as a filmmaker, he can take those 20 hours of interviews and whatever other footage he's going to use, and he can shape that narrative. I mean, that's one of the things, and we've talked about this in other documentary episodes, is that documentaries are, are made in the editing in a lot of ways because you can kind of craft your perspective on reality with what you've got, the footage you've got. And so Morris could have certainly have made a movie that made McNamara look worse, and he didn't. Yeah. At the same time, maybe, maybe that's the theme of what he took from all of these things. It's a complicated issue and he was going to let McNamara tell as much as of his story as he could without kind of putting his own Errol Morris stamp on it one way or the other, no matter what he feels. But we also see, and he's a master of using B-roll. Like, I think that's one of the most effective things. We see images of, you know, bombed out cities and dead bodies and, you know, the, the war is hell situation. So, I mean, you know, I, he also, I think he shows enough respect to his audience to make their own decisions and interpretations on the film. Yeah, I agree. I think you're right that that was what he ended up with. But I, I, I do think that's a conscious choice on his part to not craft this as a sort of gotcha thing or as a takedown, to give it more of that measured approach and, and let the audience make their own conclusions more so then maybe some of those audience members would have wanted. Yeah, fair. So uh, I had never seen this, uh, even though, I mean, I was certainly aware if it won, it won the Oscar in 2003. Um, but this is the kind of movie that I probably would not ever have seen had we not been doing a podcast about it, just because political documentaries are really not my thing. Uh, had you seen this one before? No, it was tough to, I mean, it was tough to find for years. I remember like wanting to watch it and not being able to find it for whatever reason. But even if you're not a fan of political documentaries, and I like politics and political stuff, you know, you kind of want to watch a bunch of Errol Morris, Errol Morris stuff as a fan of documentaries anyway, right? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I have only seen a handful of Errol Morris movies, but I remember seeing uh, his movie, the one he did right after the, or I don't know if it was right after this, but fairly soon called Standard Operating Procedure, 
which is a similar perspective where he interviews all of these uh, people who were at Abu Ghraib about their, uh, you know, misdeeds, let's say there. And I think I may have watched that for an article or for awards consideration or something. And I remember going into that thinking, oh, this is not the kind of movie I'm going to be interested in and finding that movie really fascinating. So I do think, yes, Errol Morris inherently is a good filmmaker and whatever his subject is, uh, is going to be interesting. But I, I've only seen a handful uh, of his films, um, The Thin Blue Line and, the, and, now, and now this and... Um, some Chipotle commercials. And, well, right, and he does, he does do all that. Yeah, stuff. no, I agree. I, this is like, uh, like he is a, a preeminent figure in documentary filmmaking, but I, I haven't seen a lot of his stuff either. Thin Blue Line is the most famous uh, and, uh, you know, kind of put him on the map. And, well, actually, I think I saw Vernon, Florida, too, which is like one of his very early uh, movies. So, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's always there. And uh, like you said, now... His stuff seems to be going more and more to streamers, and um, that's cool. There's a home for it, so you know, keep making stuff, Errol Morris. Yes, that's our that's our rah rah <laughs> that's, speech that's, for you, Errol. Keep, that's the takeaway there. Keep keep, keep doing it, Errol. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he appreciates don't, that. Don't message. stop, <laughs> Dave, Dave. You're you're more of a political guy. I feel like, well, certainly than I am. Had you uh, had you seen this one before? I had never seen it. I'd always heard of it. Yeah. I never got around to it though. Well, do you yeah. watch a, do you watch a lot of political? Movies? I don't. I don't. I I I would say uh I probably watch more like, you know, TV stuff when it comes to, you know, history, like, you know, whether it whether it's some like, you know, specials and stuff like that on TV, but I, I don't tend to watch a lot of these kinds of political documentaries though. Yeah. Dave, Dave who has a political podcast but doesn't watch well, political. Yeah. I'm forced to have a political says, podcast, but So the takeaway there <laughs> what I got from Dave is I don't pay any attention to politics. Now listen to my political podcast. Yeah. That's right. Bird Dave, Road. Like we'll, we'll name it, Dave. It's called Bird Road. It, right. it is called Check Bird, out Road. Bird Road as part of the All Points West Network. It's a that's know, right. One of our uh, sister podcasts, I guess we would say. I don't know how you that's Josh, right. it's gender neutral, yes. as is everything. That, right? that is true. Yes. It's one of our sibling <laughs> podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. Dave, I feel like your parents are the kind of people who would have been out protesting the Vietnam War. <laughs> That- my mom definitely my dad just buying and selling records his whole uh, life that's that's all he cared my about. parents protested the yes Vietnam war, so oh yeah, yeah yeah my my parents did i don't think they did they're not like the out on the street protesting types but i i don't think they were in favor of it my mom who um makes let's say grandiose claims in her life uh <laughs> at one point when i think it must have been around this time josh when this came out or you know, maybe when we invaded Afghanistan, who's to say we're always invading someone. My mom, aren't we? Yeah. My mom said to me, and she just threw this out there out based off of nothing. She goes, listen, if the draft comes back, don't worry. I got places for you to go deep in the wilderness of Canada. (laughs) And I was like, there's so much to unpack with that statement. Like, where how did you get these connections? How long have you been planning this? Is any of it real? And it's like, I was just like, Okay, fair enough. Let's move on. But she just threw that out there, like just to know. Well, thank goodness you never had to find out. <laughs> that's, that's right. Scary on many levels. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> and on that note, we'll take a moment, come back and talk more of our general thoughts on the fog of war. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, 
We're talking about our documentary pick, Errol Morris's The Fog of War, which, as we noted, also was the Oscars pick for Best Documentary of the Year. And we've really delved into a lot of this already in our first segment. But I mean, I guess with a movie like this that's so like relevant and uh, timely even now, it's sort of weird to say, well, did you like this movie? Did you have fun watching this movie, Jason? Well, I don't know if I had it. I, yeah, I, I did like it. I was kind of yeah. like riveted. I liked, I liked it a lot. And, you know, like we said, McNamara is an engaging figure, but like technically it's awesome, right? From the beginning, right? We talked about the Interatron, which is basically the best way I could describe it is like a teleprompter, right? In a camera lens. So instead of seeing words in a camera lens, you're seeing the interviewer's face right in the camera lens. So it doesn't give you a kind of off, uh, off to the right or off to the left of camera point of view. You're looking literally at the person in the lens. Um, like we also said, like his use of like archival footage and materials is really fascinating. And one thing I wanted to point out, man, Philip Glass, dude, he just is. This score is, I mean. Finally, someone has to say something good about Philip Glass. You know, he doesn't get any credit as a musician, does he? But like, I mean, there's a reason he's so uh, acclaimed. And I really think this score is uh, 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 just uh, takes the movie to an entirely uh, greater level. Yeah, the score is great. And I feel like maybe not with Errol Morris, but with a lot of these documentaries that are just trying to tell you about an issue or whatever, a lot of the stuff is just very functional. And the score is often one of those things that it's like, we bought some stock music or whatever. It doesn't really sound distinctive in any way. And this movie, certainly, it, that's not the case at all. That score is, it, it is great. And I feel like it adds to it because it's not just, hey, here's some dry history lesson or whatever. It's, it wants to, you know, it's trying to evoke a feeling in the audience and, and doing that, the score is a big part of that. So I agree. I, I feel like the Enterotron, I know that's what Morris is known for. But I, I guess maybe the, it was a little lost on me that the idea that McNamara or or any of his interview subjects in his other films, they're talking directly to you as the viewer, essentially. I mean, that's the idea that when McNamara or anyone, when they talk to Morris as the interviewer, they're talking to the viewer because they're looking right in the camera as opposed to off to the side of the camera. I don't know. I feel like that maybe isn't, it's cool, I guess, but it, it didn't have the, the sort of impact that maybe it's supposed to happen. That could be because it's become like commonplace now. Right. And right. you know, this was mm -hmm. his invention. And like, um, if, if you hadn't seen it before, then maybe it would have had a, a bigger impact on you. But, um, even right away, it, it was interesting. Cause like the, the angle on, uh, McNamara is a straight angle, but I had to, I was thinking to myself, is this a Dutch angle? Like meaning is it slanted one way or the other? Because the background is slanted, right? And it was a really interesting way to juxtapose these things. Like you're already uh, dealing with anachronistic stuff, which kind of represents the you know entire movie and the person and the situation. So yeah, I just thought it was really well done. And, and I agree with you, Josh. Like there is a tension to that score that really keeps you um, into everything, into whatever's going on. Right, because it's not, I mean, this isn't like a suspenseful movie in any way, but I think there is tension is is the right word. And it, you want to be, it, you don't want it to feel dry. You don't want it to just feel like, hey, I, I went to a lecture in a lecture hall or something like that. It, it should feel like more of a gripping experience. And and I didn't always feel like that. I think I probably didn't like this as much as you did. I, 
And that's part of the reason why I didn't watch that extra on the DVD is because I was like, all right, I kind of I kind of heard from him enough already. Um, and and maybe as the movie was getting into the second half, and especially as it gets into a lot of minutiae about Vietnam and we did this, this policy and then this policy. And and as as someone who didn't live through that and who doesn't have that emotional investment in that time period, I I there were moments where I was like, all right, just just move on from this. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's me maybe more than the movie. Yeah. But I think that in a way that's fair. Cause the first hour you're going through, you know, his time in world war two and his time at GM. And then obviously there has to be a big focus on his uh, time as secretary of defense. But like they said, he ran the world bank afterwards and he, you know, kind of wrote books and went on, you know, they have, they point out in the movie that. He went to Vietnam to speak to the uh, the opposition leader 30 years later, and they had they just sat down, maybe they could have avoided the whole thing, right? Which is pretty tragic. So there could have been other things, but obviously, you know, if you get Robert McNamara, you got to talk about Vietnam. So I get that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that that in a way, again, from the perspective of people who went through that and who know him and are and think of him as the Vietnam you know, the architect of Vietnam, as they call it, they, they might feel the opposite way that all that, that stuff leading up is like, oh, what is all of this, you know, throat clearing? When are we just going to get to the meat of the story? And there's even that moment in the movie, one of those moments that I was talking about where you hear Morris off screen and you get the sense of his own frustration. And he says, at some point, we're going to have to talk about Vietnam. Like, he, like he's getting impatient with his own movie, like get to it already. And I think maybe that's part of, of that tension of that intentional tension where he wants the audience to feel that too. Yeah. And he does, you know, for, to McNamara's credit, he talks a lot about Vietnam. He doesn't just breeze right. over it. Right. So yes, yes. Um, one thing that got me early on in the movie based on what we're living through right now is, so he's born in 1916 and he talks about remembering in 1918, not just troops coming home, but like having to wear masks because of the Spanish flu. And it was really like poignant at this moment in time. Yeah, that was. And it's interesting because, I mean, we talk about there was there was a lot of contemporary resonance for this movie in 2003 related to what was going on there with the war in Iraq, which now, of course, is history to us as well. But yeah, that, that's a that's a sort of poignant moment for us right now. And another thing I noticed that he talks about right around that same time period, uh, talking, or I guess not, not uh, later when he's talking about the depression and people being out of work and there being all of this unrest and saying something like, oh, if Roosevelt hadn't done some of the things that he did, it would have gotten a lot worse. And that's also something that I feel like is, is, is relevant to our current moment. So, I mean, those are things that are actually, that were maybe 15 years apart in McNamara's life, but both are relevant now. Yeah. In those extra 10 rules, I wrote down two of them because I thought they, well, I wrote down more than two, but uh, it said uh, one of them was, we, the richest nation in the world, have failed in our responsibility to our own poor and to the disadvantaged across the world to help them advance their welfare in the most fundamental terms of nutrition, literacy, health, and employment, which, yes. We have, and we don't seem to be fixing it. And then there was another one where the basic gist of it was, yes, corporate executives have responsibilities to their stockholders, but they also have responsibilities to their employees, customers, and society as a whole, which seems to have been extremely lost on us lately. Right. And that's one of the themes there. You mentioned it was it was Ford, not GM, that he worked at before he became Secretary of Defense. Right. My bad. But- 
you know, he talks about how he introduced seatbelts into cars, which is a huge deal. And that people were resistant to those and they didn't want to wear them. Speaking of people not wanting to do things to protect <laughs> themselves <laughs> in our current moment. Um, but I mean, that's clearly something where it maybe didn't help the bottom line of Ford necessarily, but he thought it was an essential thing to do when he read the statistics about people dying in car accidents and thought, can we do something to prevent this? And if we can, it is our duty to do that. Yeah, the G- the Ford stuff. Sorry, I don't know. I, I guess yeah. I'm just confusing. Maybe I'm thinking of our friend Michael Moore from the other documentary there, right? Right. Um, yes. But uh, no, that 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 could be a whole different documentary, right? On, you know, what is your responsibility to your customer and, you know, how they took 10 guys from the Air Force, 10 of the best and brightest, and really transformed the entire company. Right. I mean, and that is just one aspect of this movie, but it feels like that his impact during his time there was almost as significant in a way. I mean, the idea of cars having seatbelts is a massive development in, you know, in American and world history, really, in, in the history of transportation. So, and it's just one small element of this movie. So I think that shows you how much of an impact this guy had in so many ways beyond just Vietnam. Yeah. And Josh, just to go back to something you said of when people um, who might have been watching wanted him to get to Vietnam already. I mean, the stuff on World War Two, one is necessary to kind of explain who he is, but also it's pretty horrific, you know, when he's talking about how they burned 100,000 Japanese civilians in one night. and. Um, you know, there you see, you're seeing these shots of the camera kind of take on a point of view through the firebombing and everything. It's 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 really effective. And, you know, he has he has to deal with that. He has to say, you know, we had to maximize our efficiency. Could we have done so, which is one of his rules, right? Could we have done something that would have killed less Japanese people? Yes. But then it would have killed more Americans. And it's like he's very matter of fact about this, even though you can tell there is some emotional core to what he's saying for himself. Yeah. And I think especially that sequence about the firebombing of Japan is striking because we think of, or maybe a lot of people think of World War II as this more morally justified war. I mean, fighting Nazis and all that stuff, like that was, it was the right thing to do to fight in World War II. Whereas in Vietnam, it's a lot more ambiguous and a lot more people think, well, the Vietnam War itself was not justified regardless of the policies around it. But that shows you that even during this war that maybe the majority of people still think was was the right thing to do, there were these horrible things that that we did in order to win that war, in order to conduct that war, and that it's a, it's a continuum from there to Vietnam. It's not completely different situations. Josh, what did you think of... Um... Morris's use of kind of archival footage, B-roll stuff, like really kind of building the story on top of the interviews. Yeah, I thought it was mostly good. I mean, that kind of stuff is sometimes you'll watch documentaries and they throw in this this kind of stock footage or things of just like people walking. And it's like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, but I think there were very few moments of that. Um, and because he structures this movie around a single interview, he doesn't interview anyone else. It's important, I think, to provide that context around what McNamara says. So certainly, I think this is a well-edited movie in in the way it it, it intersperses 
the interviews with those archival uh, that are that archival footage. So yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't necessarily always love it, and I feel like there's certainly bits of footage in here where it's like, oh, here's here's the World War II footage, here's the Vietnam footage, like the things that you would see in any historical documentary about those periods. And but overall, good. Mm -hmm. Fair. I'll give you that. Josh. All right. Did, did you have any other thoughts on the the archival footage? Um, no, I mean, I think like when we're talking about like moving through the firebombing and seeing the results of that or seeing some of the, you know, really horrific imagery of what happens after the bombings in Vietnam. And then, you know, you get to the point where he says, if we had just sat down and tried to understand each other, right, which especially now this past century with our wars in Afghanistan and everything like have have really taken on resonance of this idea of, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And his first rule, empathize with your enemy. We, we haven't, you know, done that. And I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, saying, uh, uh, the, that our enemies are good guys or anything. Like that. I'm just saying, you know, I get it. If you want to understand what they're doing, you should try to understand why they're doing it. Right. So. Right. And I don't think, you know, no one is a good guy or a bad guy necessarily, or, or very few people are all that, uh, all one of those things. And I think that is part of his point that even if, our enemy is our enemy for a good reason. That doesn't mean that they're all evil and their motivation is just being evil. You know, you have to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Right. And he says, you know, uh, humans are rational, but reason has its limits, which I think is a really interesting take on the human condition. Um, in the uh, in those extra rules, the one that was probably the most depressing was um has to do with that, which is the, the the indefinite combinations of human fallibility and nuclear weapons will lead to the destruction of nations. So, you know. Yeah, he definitely has a very strong opinion on nuclear weapons and, and sees those as this 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 imminent danger, which we I feel like we don't talk about those as much anymore. Right. I, the, the further removed we get from World War II, the, the one time that those nuclear weapons were used, the, the less it seems like a, a an existential threat to us at the moment, but of course they're they're all still there. Well, they're still around. Yeah, not just not just World War Two, uh, but the Bay of Pigs, which is brought up in here, and how Cuba had uh, Russian nuclear warheads pointed at us, and you know could have annihilated everything was going to be annihilated. We were mutually assured destruction. Us, Russia, Cuba, right? So, right, lots of fun stuff, buddy. <laughs> You know, uh, to to your point, Jason, about like, you know, getting to know, you know, the other side and, and that kind of stuff. I, I think that that's to me personally, that was my biggest problem with the movie. Like I recognize it as a very well-made documentary and an interesting story. But I think after, you know, you, you've talked a little bit about, you know, these last few years, after these last few years, it's like I kind of am burnt out and don't want to know the other side and don't want to know those people, you know? And so that just, if I had seen this movie five, 10 years ago, I probably would have liked it a lot more, you know? Well, that's an interesting point because you're talking about the other side of uh, political adversaries in our own country, as opposed to yeah. people we're at um, quote unquote traditional war with, right? So, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. Right. And I think, though, even if you like maybe you don't want to sympathize, it, it still is valuable to understand why people who oppose you oppose you, what Definitely. they're doing. You know, yeah. even if you think that those they're 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 crazy or they're completely wrong and bad or whatever, to at least know what what are they opposing and why are they opposing it in order to kind of move forward in opposing them 
you know, I, I think is, is an, is an important thing, but yeah, it's interesting that we think of that now, like who are our enemies? Our enemies are people on the other side of the political spectrum in the U S versus, yeah. uh, I mean, what Robert McNamara, I think would be talking about in the context of today would be like, you know, the Taliban or something like that. <laughs> He's not talking about Republicans. Right. And obviously we, we've said many times, uh, we, we lean a certain way on this show uh, most of the time politically, but we don't hate uh, Republicans, but we don't like uh, white supremacists. Bold stance. That's why I'm the Secretary of Defense, Josh. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You are you are the one who's making our policy here at Awesome Movie. And, and with that, Josh, should we rate this thing out of five more lessons? Oh, five more lessons. <laughs> nice. Yes, nice. that's a good thing to rate it out of. Um, I'm going to give it three more lessons out of five. You know, again, this is the kind of movie that like I appreciated and respected, but didn't necessarily like enjoy that much, but, but solid. So Jason, I give it three and a half. Um, I totally get what you're saying. I think I just found him so fascinating and I am a fan of history. So, uh, gets three and a half more lessons from me. All right, Dave, uh, I'll go with two and a half, but I think in a different time, it would have been a good three for me. All right. Yeah, that's still not super enthusiastic, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll come back then in a moment and talk about the legacy of the fog of war. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 2003, we've been talking about our documentary pick, Errol Morris's The Fog of War. And we've talked a bit about Errol Morris's other films, but I think that this movie being so successful and acclaimed really helped push him in the direction of making more of these political films, including some films where he uses a similar technique here, where he takes this controversial figure and just interviews that person head on and has them reflect. And I don't think those movies, those other movies necessarily achieve that same level of acclaim um, there's the the unknown known, the movie he made where he talked to Donald Rumsfeld, another Secretary of Defense, and recently the movie uh, American Dharma, where he talks to Steve Bannon, who's an incredibly controversial figure. And I haven't seen that movie, but I know a lot of reviews of that one basically took it to task for being too sympathetic, for just giving Steve Bannon a platform to spew his views without challenging them. And us having lived through Steve Bannon, maybe that would be much more infuriating for us to watch. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And again, I haven't seen that movie. That movie was, I mean, despite his, his, Errol Morris's status as this major, like one of the top five or three or whatever documentary filmmakers working right now, that movie spent, I think, probably a couple years without even getting U.S. distribution because nobody wanted to pick up this movie about Steve Bannon. And it is out now. I think it's available now, but it took a while to get there. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. I saw the Rumsfeld one, The Unknown Known, but I remember like virtually nothing about it. In fact, I had to look on Letterboxd to remind myself that I'd seen it. Yeah. Um, and I think I saw it at the time it came out. I may or may not have reviewed it, but again, if it was for awards consideration or something like that, I remember... I think if anything, that movie is just not as illuminating as this one because Rumsfeld is a lot more guarded. Yeah. But like I said, I really did like standard operating procedure, the one about the people at Abu Ghraib, which isn't one person, it's a whole range of people, but it's still similar, these people kind of reflecting on a terrible time that they participated in. And it, it gets them maybe in part because they're not 
major famous figures like McNamara or Rumsfeld, it gets them to reflect a lot more. So I don't have you seen any of those, Jason? No, um, I haven't. And if you could make Rumsfeld or Bannon look like a good guy to me, then I don't think you're a documentarian. You're a wizard. So um, <laughs> but, you know, again, you know, they're all worth watching. Like Vernon, Florida is a really interesting movie just about this small town. And it's kind of uh, a little more verite of here are the residents and, you know, um, obviously Thin Blue Line, you know, was one of the first to take on a case of, I mean, the true crime genre, right, of this guy who is wrongfully convicted. And I, I, I didn't go back and look, but I think he helped get the guy out of jail because of this, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's the case. And I think Morris is one of these. There's a handful of these documentary filmmakers who have been on this kind of true crime uh, beat, let's say, for many, many years. And that the explosion in that stuff at the moment has suddenly catapulted them back into popularity or, or, or allowed them to make more films and, and get their stuff more widely seen. I mean, when we talked about Paradise Lost and uh, Joe Berlinger, he's a huge, you know, he's working more than ever right now, I think in part because he's been in that genre for so many years and Morris too. Although Morris has that balance between some of those, the political documentaries and the crime stuff. And like you mentioned, Vernon, Florida, or uh, some of his other movies that are more just about quirky everyday people. Yeah. So the last two that he's had out are my psychedelic love story, um, which I think is about Timothy Leary and the effects of LSD. Correct. It's, I think it's about Timothy Leary's like wife or girlfriend or something like that. Okay. I haven't seen it, but, and that also, I think I saw some kind of mixed reviews on it, but that just came out recently in the last few months. And then he's got a wilderness of errors, which is the trials of Jeffrey McDonald. And that's an interesting one. Cause he had a, there was an entire podcast that led up to the documentary and I listened to all of the podcasts and I do want to watch the documentary, but it's another one about a guy, did he or didn't he murder his family? And he was in jail, then he wasn't in jail, then they put him back in jail, and he's trying to get out of jail. It's a pretty uh, wild situation over there. So, yeah. And as we mentioned, Josh, uh, like over a thousand commercials or something, right? Yeah, I don't know exactly the number, but that is definitely how he kind of makes a living in between the documentaries that he makes, which maybe aren't lucrative per se. And one thing about A Wilderness of Error, I haven't seen it either, but that is not directed by Errol Morris. It is about Errol Morris. Um, That's interesting. It is about that, um, you, you cited the podcast, and I guess there's a book about the case, and Errol Morris wrote yes. the book. Yes. And then the, the, the documentary series is based on his book, but is not directed by him. And I haven't seen it, but I, I thought I remembered reading somewhere that it actually maybe makes the opposite conclusion that Morris himself makes. I'm not sure. I'm probably messing up these details, but it is not it is not his film. And I think it may be not only did he not direct it, but he maybe in some way is not entirely on board with it. Is it it's Andrew Jarecki? Is that who did it? Or? Uh, Andrew Jarecki is a producer. Mark Smerling is the okay. director who's not someone I'm familiar yeah, with. Yeah. So those two guys did Crime Town which is a great podcast. Uh, the first season is about um, uh, Providence. Uh, I haven't heard the second season, which is about Detroit, but uh, I do really like the Providence season. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Jarecki's pretty well-known documentarian. So uh, Smurling to kind of move over from the podcast documentary to the uh, TV documentary. It's, I, I'd like to see it. I mean, I listen to the podcast. I should probably watch the, the movie. Uh, yeah. 
But I just, I thought that's interesting that, you know, and may, maybe in, in some way it's applying some of Morris's techniques to him, to him. or at least to, to research that he did and to conclusions that he reached. Yeah. And another, int- you know what I want to see him make a documentary about? Is there an awesome movie year? Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to see him make him, uh, I mean, and I know there's already been a, uh, at least one documentary about it, um, about Theranos, you know, the company that, uh, was like one of the biggest busts ever in Silicon Valley where they said they could, you know, basically do all these medical tests with like one blood droplet. And uh, it turned out to be a lie. And the uh, the chairwoman, uh, who, the creator of the company, I think Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes, is that her name? Yeah, that's her name. Right. Yeah. She she's she's regarded as like uh, one of the biggest, you know, swindlers and con men of the Silicon Valley years and morris did all these commercials for them believing in the product and he even says was i you know was i bamboozled i guess i was so that would be interesting to get his documentary first person a little more subjective take on on that situation yeah that would be and i feel like if he could get her to sit down in the way that he got mcnamara to sit down and and be forthcoming which who knows if she really ever would and especially given that person i didn't know about his connection in that way i think that'd be Pretty fascinating. I think there is a documentary. It may be Alex Gibney, who is like yeah, the of course. Uh, fast, fast food of documentaries yeah. at this point. Um, I didn't watch the documentary. I did listen to that podcast called The Dropout, which is very good. Right, which I think is being adapted into like a narrative TV series or film or whatever. I mean, maybe one of the reasons that Morris doesn't do it is because there's too much coverage on it already. Do you think now that we're talking about all these podcasts being adapted to TV, the awesome movie year television show is in the works at some point in time. I mean, if it's not, it should be. Again, just, you know, as we sit here uh, <laughs> looking at each other from our various uh, homes, it's it's almost like we're on the Interatron <laughs> as we record this podcast. That's right. So. Episode three, still sitting in different rooms. Yeah, fascinating <laughs> stuff. Uh, Robert McNamara, uh, he died in 2009 at the age of 93. And I, I didn't see anything necessarily about his response to this film. I mean, as you said, he'd written books and he he had already been on record as having regrets about Vietnam and having kind of changed his perspective. But I, I don't know if he talked a lot about this film, if he felt like it represented him well or not. Uh, from what I saw, it was, he was saying like, he didn't agree with certain parts of it, but then he went on to offer those 10 extra lessons to the DVD. So he couldn't have hated it that much, right? Right. And I'm sure it got him back in the public eye and, uh, you know, won an Oscar and all of that. So it, if he was, you know, if he was doing the the speaking circuit or things like that, that retired politicians often do that might have helped him out. I don't know. Yeah, it is interesting that, you know, 20, 30 years later, 30 years later, he went over to Vietnam to meet with the opposition leader. Like, I can't see any of our secretary of defenses now doing that, you know, going to Afghanistan in another 10 years to talk things out, right? And, oh, we didn't have to kill all of our people? <laughs> Silly us. Right, yeah. You don't, you, don't, you don't imagine Donald Rumsfeld doing that, for example. Uh, probably not. But you never know. I don't think people he has change. the capacity. Yeah, you're right. They do. So. I mean, I think that's one of the messages of this movie, that McNamara himself changed and grew and, and reflected on what he'd done and thought differently about it. I agree, Josh. That is one of the messages of the movie. Beautiful. So on that note, that's the fog of war. 
And that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on the Interatron of social media. Yeah, the internets of uh, things. I'm Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram. Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Uh, go for Jason.com. True story. I had a meeting with a producer yesterday, and she told me how horrible my website is. So don't <laughs> even go there. Uh, AwesomeMovieYear.com still has an about section, so that's something. Awesome Movie Year on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. We love you guys. Thanks for all the feedback. Yeah, we've gotten some great feedback, especially on uh, as we launched this season on some thoughts on movies from 2003. So we always appreciate that. I am at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at Signalbleed on Twitter. And you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And one more quick plug for Bird Road Podcast, where I pretend to know about politics while Q mainly does the talk. As uh, someone who's been a guest on both, I have fun on both of those things. Yeah, awesome. good times. Good times indeed. So what is coming up in our next episode? Well, Josh, if anyone should tell, it's you because it's your pick, buddy. What? Yes, it is. I knew that. Um, my pick <laughs> is the, I think, supremely underrated film, Down With Love, the romantic comedy directed by Peyton Reed and starring Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor. So hopefully we'll have a fun time talking about that. Tune in next time for Down With Love, and thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.